Is that what I'm saying? Rough Trade Radio. 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 Hello and uh, welcome Dave Randall um, to the podcast studio on Rough Trade Radio. How Thank are you, you. Yeah, great. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. That's an absolute pleasure. Um, so we're here um, discussing our book of the month for March, um, which is uh, Sound System, The Political Power of Music, Yeah, um, which instantly um, drew my interest, the title alone. Yeah, um, good, great. But um, bef- before we go in, into the book, I mean, y- you have a, you know, just having a brief um glimpse of, of your, your background and your, your bag, you have a, a fascinating career in music that stems from, well, that seems to have taken you around the globe um, yes, to, yes. to set you up for, for writing a book like this. Can you tell us more about, about your background as a... Yeah, absolutely. No, that's absolutely true. I mean, a, a lot of the um, questions, really, that um, I became more and more interested in were questions that I first stumbled across while I was on tour. Um, so I was in the first lineup of Faithless and uh, was with the band for some time. I actually then left, but but rejoined. So so for the best part of twenty years, I was touring with with Faithless, and um, I've also worked with Sinead O'Connor, who of course is politically quite an interesting person to mm-hmm. to chat with, uh, which we did at length, and various others. I mean, I sort of recall doing some sessions with a West African Kora player called Duda Sizoko. And that really introduces a section in the book where I talk about um, music that has been used or was used in the struggle for independence in West Africa. Um, and I also made a trip, uh, aside from touring, a trip kind of specially for research to uh, to Trinidad to look at the roots of carnival. So, so yes, for me, uh, there was a lot of travelling, including the touring with the different acts, uh, which sort of went into this book over the years. I mean, I've only been writing it relatively recently, but as I say, I've been mulling over these questions for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, there's one incident, for example, which I talk about early on in the book, where Faithless have been invited to tour Mandela's South Africa. So this is not long after the fall of apartheid. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, apartheid South Africa was subject to a cultural boycott, which I would have supported. And therefore, for me, it was a big moment uh, that we were going there to this newly liberated rainbow nation. Nelson Mandela uh, was in power and we were a multiracial band. You know, I I thought that this was a very um, symbolically a very positive moment, uh, you you know, obviously for the nation. But we were making our own little contribution really to that that's what I thought and in some senses I was right but I was a bit wrong-footed because at the welcoming dinner hosted by the promoter and his team I asked the woman sitting next to me what her job was and she smiled and said um, that her job was to get 18 to 25 year olds to smoke and that the tour was very visibly sponsored by Camel Cigarettes. And I suddenly thought, hang on a minute, this isn't as straight, it's not as straightforward <laughs> as I thought. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, in one sense, yes, we're here to celebrate um, this uh, wonderful moment in South Africa's history. But on the other hand, actually, we're here to, 
to peddle bloody cigarettes. And that, you know, that was just one of a number of things that happened to me in those early years that got me thinking, if I want to understand what I'm actually involved with here mm -hmm. from a kind of a social and political point of view, I'm going to have to dig a bit deep mm -hmm. because it, it, it's layered, it's complicated. The same piece of music or the same musical act or the same tour can promote different agendas, completely different agendas simultaneously. And I found that rather uh, fascinating. And so I mentioned that story fairly early on in the book, really to set the scene, mm -hmm. because one of the things that I tried to draw attention to is the fact that music, regardless of genre, music is politically contested. You know, it's not the case that all punk is progressive or all... Um, Schoenberg, the great European composer, is progressive, which is what one um, quite well-known academic thought. You know, actually, my belief is that whatever genre you're into, it's going to be tugged in different directions by different interest groups. You know, so I thought it, it would be quite fun to try and get my head around that and to tr try and pick it apart a bit. Yeah, and and I'm sure, and the, the book highlights, and we're, we're going to sort of use some tracks to, to highlight certain moments. But yeah. within that kind of very early world of, of you know traveling the globe, essentially, were you, were you prior to that quite conscious of of, of politics in general and, and its relation with music, or was it that that really gave you the the platform to to consider those things with those flagged up little moments and incidents well it's definitely true that my interest had already been uh spiked is that the word um by mm. by music actually and again this is something i touch upon in the book because i got to music long before i got to politics i mean you know i was sort of 14 year old working in the local guitar shop and uh, then i became a roadie for a local rhythm and blues band i was touring around in the back of a splitter van uh, going to bikers clubs and um you know late night truck stops around around the country um and and in a sense politics might have stayed a little bit off my radar were it not for the fact that i washed up at a festival and the DJ in between bands, the DJ dropped the special AKAs free Nelson Mandela. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, he crops up a few times in the book, funnily enough. Um, I had no idea who he was. I had absolutely no idea who Nelson Mandela was. But I knew by the end of the first chorus that I wanted him to be free. Yeah. You know, surrounded by these people hollering the hook of yeah. that song. I thought, bloody hell, this is powerful. I, yeah. thought, I thought maybe ordinary people can have a say in what happens in the world. And, and, and actually, maybe music is our weapon. And so, so that sort of planted a seed. And, um, you know, then, then I heard other bands, Public Enemy, Rage Against the Machine, Arnie DeFranco, all, the, you know, all, these, all these different bands that made me, uh, Billy Bragg, uh, people who, who made me believe that music could indeed be a political force. And so these questions were on my mind when I started touring internationally. Mm -hmm. And it's been, um, yeah, obviously it's been a, a real fascination of mine ever since. But when I started researching for this book, I became even more fascinated because, you know, the, the stories that you start to uncover are, are, are incredible. So it's, yeah, it's, it's all kind of culminated now in this book. But, um, but I want your listeners to know that i mean it sounds like it's going to be a great big bloody you know doorstop of a great big uh, tome is that the <laughs> word it's not it's actually quite short and I've, I've tried to make it as as entertaining and and as accessible as possible because for me i want this to be the starting place for a bit of a conversation i want people to actually read it and to let me know what they think because i think this stuff matters mm -hmm. um 
I mean, really, the, 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 the jumping off point for committing to the idea of writing the book was a feeling that I suspect I share with most people at the moment, which is that right now we're living in times of real political turmoil. And I think that those of us who would like to see a better world, you know, with less racism and less misogyny and, and less refugees left to drown in the Mediterranean and all these things, the, the, those of us who want to see a better world, we've got a fight on our hands at the moment. And I think... I think that culture is going to be one of the battlegrounds. And uh, since that's what I know the most about because of my history, you know, I wanted to try to, to get to grips with that, to try and explore that, to try and explore the ways that we can make sure that culture in ge general and music in particular helps to move the world towards a better place. And yeah, Absolutely. I mean, I couldn't agree much more. And I, I always find it interesting um, trying to contextualise how looking back at the past and, and, and these stories and this experience, how that can help or, or, or aid or feed into going forward when it comes Absolutely. to... Absolutely. Um, I mean, it, it, does, the, does it feel like the book almost educates for, for going forward as much as reflecting? Yeah, I mean, I, well, I hope so. That's certainly my intention. I mean, one of the first things that struck me when I started doing some research was that, in a sense, ordinary people or progressive people, um, however you want to describe us, um, we're playing catch-up, actually. I mean, there have been some great books about music and politics, don't get me wrong, uh, but very often they focus, and again, this isn't a bad thing, but very often they do focus on great protest songs or on particular artists, you know, celebrating Bob Dylan or celebrating The Clash or celebrating a moment in cultural political history like Rock Against Racism. Now, these are all important uh, things to do and, and, and some of these books that I'm thinking of are excellent but what I wanted to do was to sort of look at music in a broader context and as I said before try, not, try to unpick the, the layers of this and um, one of the things I discovered is that is that people with power and privilege that rulers in society have actually taken the political power of culture seriously for hundreds if not thousands of years uh, and in that sense, we are playing catch up, you know, um, with with understanding that they have well, with, and use that power. Well, I, I think that quite often there is this sense, including among political people, there is this sense that, yeah, you know, we we like political music. We love certain artists and we like to go to a gig at the end of a conference. <laughs> um, you know, the, the, the real stuff of politics takes place on demonstrations and picket lines and perhaps in Parliament now. I think those places are important. Of course I do, very important. But I think it's also true that the drip-drip effect of everyday culture um, is also hugely important in terms of forming our values and our sense of identity and therefore how we act, including how we act politically. And, um, and like I say, rulers have, have, have felt this way for a long time. Can, can I give you one example that springs to mind from... I mean, I, I, it, this is from medieval Europe. I mean, I mean you know, because um, pe people probably think I'm about to talk about the Tory government in the 90s uh, banning rave 
uh, they passed that legislation specifying that you weren't allowed to meet with a certain over a certain number of people with music characterised by repetitive beats, didn't they? Mm-hmm. As an attempt to clamp down on on the free raves in the early nineties, um, and, and and actually I do mention that in the book, but 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 that sort of thing has been going on um, since the days of medieval Europe, if not beyond, because back then the um, the establishment wasn't an elected government and, and, and their friends in the city like it is now, uh, arguably. No, the, the establishment back then was the Catholic Church, the popes and the abbots and the bishops of the Catholic Church and the feudal lords. And they were very nervous about ordinary people. They were very nervous that ordinary people would one day rise up and demand a better deal in life because this was back in the feudal times. We're talking the 1150s or whatever. I mean, you know, it would have been pretty grim back then for most people. Um, and so the rulers peddled this message that the social order is ordained by God. The implication, of course, being that any attempt to change it was not only futile, but also blasphemous. You know, don't think about it. And they used music to reinforce this message. Um, they wanted to play music to their congregations that would get that, those congregations to gaze upward in quiet spiritual contemplation. And they would... Um, they would do their best to ensure that their congregations didn't hear music that might make them think about worldly pleasures. Um, now, repetitive beats weren't yet a problem, but they decided that certain combinations of notes were. Um, I brought. Can I demonstrate on my guitar? I brought my yeah, guitar yeah. along because I was love, hoping we'd touch upon. Yeah, yeah, touch love to hear. Um, so, when I say combinations of notes. Um, you know, they, they wanted music that stuck to these very pure sounding intervals, the octaves, the perfect fourths and the perfect fifths. Um, I'll play some examples for, for the non-musicians. You'll soon get the hang of it. Uh, but the, but the, the more difficult sounding, the more dissonant, as we musos call it, sounding intervals were, um, were, were off limits uh, for church composers. This is the most difficult sounding one. I hope you can hear that on the mic. Um, it's actually a tritone or a, or a diminished fifth for the uh, for the music for the musicians listening, but that uh, was considered to be demonic. In fact, they called it diabolus in musica, the devil yeah. in music, and it does sound a bit devilish. It, yeah, it, do, it does have that <laughs> kind of sinister. I mean, it's, feel more, to it. It, it's it's more familiar to us now because I mean, Jimi Hendrix for one person, he sort of um, he fell in love with the sound of it. The beginning of Purple Haze. I'm just finding a little bit of gain on my miniature amplifier. <laughs> um, the, the beginning of Purple Haze, he's playing this, um, which is a B flat. Well, actually, it's an A because he tuned his guitar down. But the bass is playing this. So what you hear is exactly this, the devil's interval. And so on. Um, oh, it's also, it's also at the beginning of The Simpsons. That oh, right, yeah. the Simpson, the Sim. Anyway, that yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like I say, I digress. So that that's the tritone. That was completely off limits back then. But even this, I don't know if you can hear that. But even that, the sweet sounding bedrock of Western musical harmony, the major third, was completely banned by the authorities during this period. Now, ordinary people 
completely ignored the ban. So away from the churches, away from the cathedrals. Say, how do they enforce? <laughs> well, they could precisely. They couldn't. I mean, in the lowly kind of taverns and the pubs in the street corners, people were listening to precisely the sound of thirds moving in parallel. So one of the taboo intervals became one of the most popular sounds of that time. Um, now, I found that fascinating because you know what? That, that kind of model of a suspicious elite trying to restrict and control music, but then ordinary people either ignoring the restrictions or finding ingenious ways to get round them, yeah. that gets repeated time after time after time. And... Um, Oh, or getting together in those taverns and, and sort of, not sneakily, but, you know, kind of, it creates a separate community, doesn't it, of, I suppose, essentially protesting against that. Yeah, yeah, either, you know, sometimes it's quite a symbolic protest, but, um, I mean, to jump ahead, to jump ahead to the 1800s, the history of carnival is precisely that. Well, I say it's precisely that. I mean, I won't go, <laughs> I won't go into it at length. I hope that some of your listeners will pick up the book and, and have a look, but... The Notting Hill Carnival, just briefly, the Notting Hill Carnival has its roots in the Trinidadian Carnival, still one of the biggest uh, in the world. And it takes place at about this time of the year, actually, the Trinidadian Carnival, just before Lent. Um, Have you you been? You said you uh, Yes, exactly. I went over there precisely to research all this stuff. Well, that's not entirely true. I mean, my, my partner is half Trinidadian, so we went to see family as well. But while I was there, I met up with some, um, I met up with this wonderful old character, this um, rather kind of irascible um, member of the Trinidad and Tobago Steel Pan Union. And he talked me through the history of carnival, and it's fascinating. Like I say, I, I, I won't go into it all now, but suffice to say, Suffice to say that the Notting Hill Carnival and indeed the steel pan itself, that instrument, that those things only exist because of a more or less unbroken sequence of acts of political defiance and political ingenuity stretching right back to the Haitian Revolution of 1791. And um, I'm, I'm making my book sound dry and historical well at least I hope I'm not making it sound dry and historical um, but but for me this is very fascinating you know what you start to realise is that politics in culture isn't restricted to people who talk about you know chucking out the Prime Minister or people who talk about um, the minor struggle or you know whatever it is um, that actually even culture that appears to be not particularly political even a steel band marching down Portobello Road only exists that you know the culture we experience is forged in the heat of political struggle previous political struggles and I found that very interesting that actually culture and politics are inextricably linked yeah and I think what what's what I find fascinating is you know it, it is global it's global and you can right. the reason why you will digress you know and, and and through history is 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 a good thing I think for for bringing um for bringing these stories together um as 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 one kind of very very interesting um, sort of message because it can it, it seems like it can be you know censorship it can be right. the government stopping um, music. There's, there's so many different stories but but it is very often overlooked the the prowess of music in in that conversation between the people and the rulers right. exactly and, and that's essentially for me what it seems like it is and to use this sort of global and historical world of of stories well, to 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 navigate your way through telling that you know sounds like a a, fast, a, a 
a fresh way to, to kind of look well, at it. Well, I hope so. I hope so. And um, actually, you're queuing up the the first record quite nicely because 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 I mean you're absolutely right that's one of the things I wanted to do was to look across time and across cultures and to link Beyonce and Black Lives Matter with um, historical struggles and so on you know to sort of to join the dots mm -hmm. and to extrapolate some conclusions and um, you know maybe we'll get to that later in, in, in the chat but um, this first track, I really love because it links to you know it sort of it it links up two sections in my book because I talk about Trinidad, I talk about the history of carnival, but then I go on to talk about music in West Africa, and actually that link was a conscious one for some musicians at the time, and the, and the piece that we're about to hear, um, it's actually quite timely because unless. I've got my dates wrong, and I may well have done, knowing me, but unless I've got my dates wrong, we're actually just coming up to the 60th anniversary of the birth of Ghana. And when, uh, when Ghana became independent, when it finally threw off the shackles of colonialism, that uh, was welcome news to people all around the world, including uh, people in Trinidad who had themselves fought against the Br British colonial uh, government. And therefore, one of the great... Um, one of the greatest names in Trinidadian Calypso, Lord Kitchener, mm -hmm. wrote a song uh, in, solidar in solidarity with the people of Ghana, and it's called The Birth of Ghana. This day will never be forgotten, the 6th of March 1957, when the Gold Coast successfully Get your independence official. Ghana. Ghana is the name. Ghana. We wish to proclaim. We will be jolly, merry, and gay. The 6th of March, Independence Day. Dr. Nkrumah went out his way to make the Gold Coast what it is today. He endeavored continually to bring us freedom and liberty. Ghana. Ghana is the name. Ghana. We wish to proclaim we will be jolly, merry, and gay the 6th of March, Independence Day. The doctor began as agitator. Then he became popular leader. He continued to go further, and now he is Ghana's prime minister. Ghana. Ghana is the name. Ghana. We wish to proclaim we will be jolly, merry, and gay the 6th of March, Independence Day. National flag is a lovely scene with beautiful colors, red, gold, and green, and a black star in the center representing the freedom of Africa. Ghana. Ghana is the name. Ghana. We wish to proclaim we will be jolly, merry, and gay the 6th of March, Independence Day. you 
tradition from Hill Selassie was proudly received by everybody. He particularly commented on the doctor's move to self-government. Ghana, Ghana is the name. Ghana, we wish to proclaim. We will be jolly, merry and gay. The 6th of March, Independence Day. So that that was a that was a fascinating track. I mean, I, I, we were saying uh, talking in between. You know, I, I love the sound of Calypso and the, the mm. feel of it. Mm. Um, but really interesting, Kitchener's kind of lending of support for a Ghanaian mm. struggle. Yeah, and and Kwame Nkrumah, the um, leader of the struggle in Ghana, welcomed that support, and he also uh, welcomed that support from high life musicians in Ghana. Um, but it was it. But what what was fascinating about what happened next in West Africa is that young people, not only in Ghana but across the region. I mean, Senegal became independent in uh, when was 1960, and Mali. I'm I'm not sure exactly, but um, but right across the the region, young people started to turn towards American soul and funk. Um, a lot of bands started to cover James Brown and so on. And the original political leaders um, who had welcomed support from the Calypsonians and from the high life musicians and so on, they became quite suspicious of this turn towards American, black American music. Mm -hmm. They were worried that this, um, this could be the creep of a new imperialism, you know, that what starts with... James Brown's sex machine might end up with Nixon's B-52s or at least the rule of US <laughs> capital. And so that, beca- you know, that's how seriously they were taking music, yeah. th- that generation of, of political leaders. And Julius Inyere from uh, Tanzania, he actually banned Seoul. So, that you know, I, I go into these stories in the book. Um, and, and so, again, you know, the, the thread here is that, is that culture is taken very seriously, either secretly... Um, Often in a kind of a in a repressive way, but sometimes in in a progressive way. But political leaders throughout the ages and around the world have taken uh, culture, including music, very seriously. And I, I think um, I think that's that's um, significant. Absolutely, yeah, certainly. Um, so should we move on to to the next track? And yeah, quite enjoying this this way of uh, yeah, sort of considering the narrative of the book. What we've we got next? Well, what we've got next um, brings us into the twenty first century and. Um, and a very dramatic example, really, of musicians being at at, uh, at the centre, at the forefront, really at the heart of a political struggle. Because, again, I think I, I've often heard it said that, oh, well, you know, mu- music provides a soundtrack to political struggle or music helps us to do- document political, political struggle retrospectively. You know, people sing about a great protest that just happened or a or a great injustice that just happened. Um, but that's as far as it goes. When in fact, this next example demonstrates that sometimes musicians are really at the heart of things and taking huge risks as a result. Um, so this is taken from the Arab revolutions that began in Tunisia in 2011. Um, well, 2010, sorry. And, uh, and spread right across that region. Uh, so I talk about... Uh, a hip hop tune that was one of the catalysts of the 
revolution in Tunisia. I then talk about the music in Egypt, particularly Rami Essam, the famous singer of the uh, of, of, of Tahrir Square in Egypt. And I end this section. I end this section in Syria with a piece of music which I think is really infectious, really incredible. The recording you're about here was just recorded on a, on a phone in a square, so it's not the highest quality, but you can still hear the song clearly. It's it's written in a traditional, I'm told, a traditional Levantine folk form, which basically means call and response. And you'll hear the singer who is a part-time poet uh, and full-time firefighter, full-voiced guy called um, Ibrahim Al-Kashush. You'll hear him singing phrases um, dissing the the regime of Bashar al-Assad. So he's sort of saying things like, Assad, your legitimacy is ended, get out, you and your supporters are the ass, uh, you get out. And, and every time he sings, get out, Bashir, the crowd respond, they, they, they repeat that line and the intensity builds and builds. So perhaps we'll hear a, a short excerpt from that. <laughs> Bashar, 
felt like you were almost there you know with a recording like that mm, mm. And, and personally not being aware you know it's quite it, it does show the extremity of uh yeah you know of, of, of how you know something as simple as sing, singing a song yeah you know for all as much as that was such a loaded thing in the situation you know can uh, can end up um, with the man losing his own life you know right it's, uh, in the most it shows the, the importance way. of uh of where music is placed in these conversations, you know. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you're right. It, it is an extreme example. There are other examples, uh, some of them quite famous. I mean, you know, the first murder, political murder of a musician that really came to the attention of a whole generation of music fans was probably Victor Hara in Chile. And and I might come back to Chile later on. Um, we'll see. But... Um, and and these are extreme examples, but 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 every musician who gets involved in oppositional politics, if you like, who tries to challenge the powers that be, will um, you know they'll come in for some sort of flack. I mean, even even the world's most richest and powerful pop stars. I mean, if you look at Beyonce, she was um, very heavily criticised when she performed Formation at the Super Bowl last year. Um, and referenced the Black Lives Matter movement and Malcolm X and the Black Panthers and so on. You know, she was laid into by Rudy Giuliani, the f- former mayor of New York, who's now in uh, Trump's inner circle <laughs> and criticised by all sorts of other people on Fox News, predictably enough, and, and, and so on. And continually criticised after that over a number of things. Yeah. I, me- I remember the music yes. video she made. I mean, that was, that was interesting that yeah. it was almost a... Well, that was a, a conversation, you know, but from those critics and then her kind of coming back, you know, yeah, almost fighting back to, with, you know, or being provoked to do so yeah. with music. And and I think that's good. I mean, I, I think the debate around Beyonce um, and formation often misses the point. I mean, a lot of the debate focuses on whether she meant it, whether she's a sincere champion of African-American political struggle or whether she's an opportunist and you know just trying to cash in now i think that that misses the point i think whether she's sincere or she's an opportunist the 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 really interesting question um is why did she do it then why did she decide to do this in in april of last year and i believe the answer is because of the mass movement coming up from the streets, because of this movement that started with relatives of people who have been killed by the police uh, right across America, uh, um, you know, that that had reached a critical uh, mass um, so significant, so powerful, that pop stars felt inclined to respond in, in Beyonce's case to, to show some solidarity with the movement. I think that was a good thing for her to do. I think it gave the movement some publicity. It forced open the space in the mainstream media. So, you know, even if she was doing it for cynical reasons, it, it's still a positive thing. Um, 
And the hero, the heroes in this story are, are not pop stars or celebrities. The heroes are the ordinary people who created that atmosphere. Yeah. You know, that's that's the real point, I think. Yeah, I think but it's it's perhaps a good reminder of how you're much more open to, to attack and criticism. You know, these contemporary examples, that one... Being that I always recall Run the Jewels performed in store yeah. as well, not long after the Ferguson right. um, case, you know, the, the kid was shot and yeah. there was riots on the streets and, then, yeah. and it was so close to home for them, you know, they sure. that, that that was where they lived, that was their family, you know, and they, they would have shows and they would speak about it and, yeah. you know, and... and, and had a backlash from certain people as a result, you know, yeah. criticizing them for almost inflaming the situation. Yeah. But well, I think, and, that... and again, both examples I feel like they, you know, today's sort of technology and kind of um, I don't know, social cultural kind of world tied in with politics and the power of um, of, of mass media and and how you can attempt to be these um, mm. people trying to convey a message but you're you're open for criticism and can be shut down yeah and you will be criticized i mean i actually think and and, you know you have to just expect that and and get on with it and surround yourself with people who um can support you um you know that that that's that's definitely going to happen but i think that uh killer mike from run the jewels is a brilliant example actually Mm. um because he he acknowledged i mean the, the 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 thing i just said about where beyonce um, you know what it was that gave permission to Beyonce to take the position that she did last year. Killer Mike's always been very aware of that, of the importance of the movement. He's all, he's all, he's always been, as far as I'm aware, a spokesperson for the kind of the best elements of the progressive movement on the streets there in in America. Not only Black Lives Matter, but he also spoke in support of Bernie Sanders, yeah. of course, and, and all these things. So I, I actually think that's a, a fantastic example. And Killer Mike is, um, you know, it, it, I, I think he's 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 a really inspiring person, mm-hmm. you know, really inspiring musician at the moment. Well, uh, should we have another a track? Yeah. So, yeah. so, so, continuing on, really, from from precisely this conversation, um, I think that what Beyonce did was 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 a good thing with formation, but it tended not to be formation that was picked up by people actually on the streets on protests. It tended to be all right by Kendrick Lamar, and therefore, as a tribute, really, to the achievements of the Black Lives Matter movement so far. And as an acknowledgement of how important they are going to be in the coming months and years, um, let's play all right. All's my life I has to fight, nigga. All's my life I hard times like yeah, bad trips like yeah. Nazareth, I'm fucked up, homie. You fucked up, but if God got us, then we gon' be alright. Oh. 
Uh, and when I wake up, I recognize you looking at me for the pay cut. Bahamas, I be looking at you from the face down. One Mac 11, even boom with the face down. Skimming, and let me tell you about my life. Painkillers only put me in a twilight. What pretty pussy and Benjamin is the highlight. Now tell my mama I love her, but this what I like. Lord knows. 20 of them in my Chevy, tell them all to come and get me. Reaping everything I sow. So my karma come in heaven, no preliminary hearings on my record. I'm a motherfucking gangsta in silence for the record. Uh. Tell the world I know it's too late. Boys and girls, I think I've gone crazy. Trying to side my faces all day. Won't you please believe when I say? When you know we've been hurt, been down before. Nigga, when our pride was low. Looking at the world like, where do we go? Nigga, and we hate Pope Paul. Wanna kill us dead in the street for sure. Nigga, I'm at the preacher's door. My knees getting weak and my gun might blow, but we gon' be alright. All right. Nigga, we gon' be alright. Nigga, we gon' be alright. Right. Do you hear me? Do you feel me? We gon' be alright Nigga, we gon' be alright Huh? We gon' be alright Nigga, we gon' be alright Do you hear me? Do you feel me? We gon' be alright What you want? You a house, you a car For the acres and the mule, a piano, a guitar Anything, see my name is Lucy, I'm your dog Motherfucker, you can live at the mall I can see the evil, I can tell it I know it's illegal, I don't think about it I deposit every other zero Thinking of my partner, put the candy painted on a Rico Digging in my pocket, ain't a profit Big enough to feed you every day my logic Get another dollar just to keep you in the presence of your Chico ah! I don't talk about it, be about it Every day I seek you If I got it, then you know you got it Heaven, I can reach you Pet dog, pet dog, pet dog, my dog, that's all Big back and chat, I trapped the back for y'all I rap, I black on tracks, so rest assured My rights, my wrongs, I write till I'm right with God When you know We've been hurt, been down before Nigga, when our pride was low Looking at the world like, where do we go? Nigga, and we hate Pope Paul Wanna kill us dead in the street for sure Nigga, I'm at the preacher's door My knees getting weak and my gun might blow But we gon' be alright Nigga, we gon' be alright Nigga, we gon' be alright We gon' be alright Do you hear me? Do you feel me? We gon' be alright In my prayers. I remember you was conflicted, misusing your influence. Sometimes I did the same, abusing my power full of resentment, resentment that turned into a deep depression. Found myself screaming in the hotel room. I didn't want to self-destruct. The evils of Lucy was all around me. So I went running for answers. Well, yeah, absolutely love that track. All right, by Kendrick Lamar. Um, and we were talking in between there, I suppose, about um, how very often, and, and it's almost expected in current political climes, that um, that music is, is very often the tool that will fight back um, or be very prevalent when it, when it comes to... Um, political times like mm. like now you know where mm. we have whether it be brexit or trump or mm. you know a very different um world is forecast for the next kind of 10 years and yeah. how how do you feel um i mean you know without sort of psychically yeah. um mm. how how do you feel music will be a part con- considering as well the the different um 
how music is in a different place now the way we we listen to music you know mm. um, and the access we have to music is is much bigger than you know um that, the a time when Lord Kitchener made that track yes. you know how how do you foresee music's uh, relationship with with the with society and the world and politics over the next 10 years yeah well you know big big question i mean a couple of things spring to mind i mean the the first thing is that the point you make about um the fact that music is experienced in a different way now. I think that's a significant point, and it's a point that Billy Bragg sometimes makes. I mean, he sort of makes the point that in the 60s and 70s and 80s, um, songs were one of the primary ways in which political ideas were communicated uh, between young people. You know what I mean? So uh, I suppose my example of hearing Free Nelson Mandela is a good example. And he, he sort of seems to me to argue that nowadays that's no longer the case now it's blogs and um social media in its in its various forms now there's some truth in that i mean you certainly won't get those same kind of huge hits you won't get the beatles again you know what i mean culture is much more fragmented we've got much more choice and therefore you won't get moments where a particular song kind of is heard by, resonates with, and speaks for a whole generation. You know, you, you probably won't get that. But I do think that music can play a very, very important role in the political struggles to come. However, it will only play the role that it should play if it links up with other forms of political struggle. Um, and like we were talking about earlier, I mean, that I think is one of the great strengths of Killer Mike is that he quite consciously links up um, grassroots community activism with campaigning. Um, last year it was for Bernie Sanders. I'm sure he'll keep campaigning for the, the best of the left out there in America and so on. But, you know, you have to bring those things together. If you're just isolated in your studio and then, you know, um, you get some airplay, it's, I, I don't think that's going to make a lasting contribution to uh to changing the world for the better i think you have to make the effort to to bring your music to political struggles and 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 for that matter i think that people organizing political struggles need to do their best to bring music to it i mean you yeah. know i think these two things should uh and can complement one another and feed into one another and learn from from one another mm -hmm. um but it's about making those connections really if we can do that then um then who knows? I mean, I think I think that the bigger political question perhaps now isn't the time to get too deeply into it. But I don't think we should be too pessimistic. And what and what um, what excites me is that this year, twenty seventeen, people seem to be talking about what can we do in a way that they weren't last year. Last year, people, a lot of people were just depressed and they didn't understand what was happening and so on. But I think that now people want to get active. They want to do something. They want to mobilise in different ways and. Um, and that's not going to go away, you know. I mean, political leaders may come and go, but that desire to actually make the world a better, more inclusive place, the things I was saying at the beginning of our conversation, you know, there's millions and millions of us who feel that way. I believe a majority of us. Mm -hmm. So um, so I, I think let's not be too pessimistic. Let's get stuck in. Yeah, yeah. there's definitely an, an opportunity to kind of seize and, and take ownership of, I think. Yeah. And then <clears throat> you could, you know, in all respects, look at um, at, at the current experience of, of taking the music and life and, and communicating you know through social media you can look at that up optimistically you know and wow we, we didn't have yeah. that opportunity yeah. to share this political message or this this commentary um years 
ago and, and we do now and you know, should embrace that perhaps. Without a doubt. In fact, um, that's one of, again, that's something that I talk about in the book is the fact that um, social media and the internet provides us with incredible opportunities to bypass the old gatekeepers of the culture industries as um, old Adorno, who I mentioned a few times, the old American, sorry, the old German um intellectual he talks about the culture industry in rather a cynical way uh, and and how the gatekeepers kind of keep out any progressive political content and um use music to distract us and to keep us um you know um passive now i mean i think that adorno was wrong in the first place but even if he was right that's no longer the case we can now bypass some of those gatekeepers and share music with different people in different parts of the world and that's precisely how i've heard about these musicians of the arab revolution for example of the arab revolutions for example um but you know we shouldn't exaggerate the degree to which the internet has democratized things it hasn't i mean you know the 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 the, the the odds are still stacked heavily in favour of those with huge amounts of money. They still control the digital platforms. They still control the big festivals and uh, the management agencies and so on and, and, and all the media outlets. Our challenge is to unite with as many people as possible in the most effective ways to force to force them to change in one way or another. And uh, music has a very important role to play in that. Mm-hmm. Um, should, should we finish with a, a last track? Yeah, why yeah? not? What have we got? Why not? Well, I just thought um, that um, I wanted to underline the fact that there's loads of great political music around, and that's not just since um, Trump became elected and everyone suddenly wants to do something. I mean, I welcome the fact that everybody wants to do something. <laughs> I'm, I'm most Just for the record, I most certainly don't welcome the Trump bit. <laughs> but the silver lining is that people are doing stuff now. But even before that, even before that, those columnists, I won't name names, but those columnists in the in, in the daily papers who say, oh, protest music is dead, there's been nothing since the clash, you know, they always got that wrong. There's always yeah. been loads of stuff. In my opinion, there's always been loads of great stuff around. And I list some of it, the Janelle Monais, the, um, uh, the Kate Tempest, the Young Fathers, the... I mean, I'm sure that people listening to this can come up with their own list, which will be as long as your arm. There's loads of good stuff out there. I'd like to finish off with someone who... Victor Jara, sorry, Victor Hara, I think his name is pronounced, from Chile, who I, who I mentioned earlier, who was murdered during the uh, Pinochet coup. He would be very pleased to know that this artist exists. She's a Chilean hip-hop artist. She became very, uh, very much um, a voice of the student struggles that have taken place not so long ago in Chile. And I love this tune. It features the Palestinian rapper Shadia Mansour, um, but the artist herself is called Anna Tiju and the song Sonos Sur. Nos dices que debemos sentarnos, pero las ideas solo pueden levantarnos, caminar, recorrer, no rendirse ni retroceder, ver, aprender como esponja absorbe, nadie sobre todos, faltan todos, suman todos para todos, todo para nosotros, soñamos en grande que se caiga el imperio, lo gritamos algo, no queda más remedio, esto no es utopía, es alegre rebeldía del baile de los que sobran de la danza de mi mía, levantarnos para decir llevar. Ni América Latina se suba Un barro con casco con lápiz a patear el fiasco Provocar un social terremoto en este charco
Venezuela, Guatemala, Nicaragua, Mozambique, Costa Rica, Camerún, Congo, Cuba, Somalia, México, República Dominicana, Tanzania, fuera Yankee de América Latina, franceses, ingleses y holandeses, yo te quiero libre. Tracks so remind, remind us who, who that was and um, and the background behind that track. Anna Tiju, um, who is a Chilean rapper and an absolute absolutely brilliant live, by the way, and featuring the Palestinian rapper Shadia Mansour. And the lyrics are, uh, I don't speak Spanish, but I've read a translation, um, and she's talking about the need to resist. She talks about the rights of indigenous people around the world and, and, and all these things. So, you know, a, a, a brilliant track by all accounts, or at least I think so. Well, um, I, I must say it's, it's it's been a pleasure to to chat with you, and um, I think it's such an important um, conversation to to spark, and um, a really um, fascinating way to do it. You know, to like I said, look across your your background of stories and your research that that really does seem to you know stem history and and, and time and, and place and, and bring together a really uh, interesting discussion. And uh, the book Great. Great. will Thank be. It'll be available at Rough Trade or Rough Trade stores. I'm sure you'll sign a few copies for Absolutely. us and leave them here. But um, but yeah, Dave Randall, thank you very much. It's been my pleasure. Thank you very much. Rough Trade Radio. Spend more time engaging with exciting music and less time having to find it. Rough Trade Club Membership. Available now via roughtrade.com forward slash membership. 